Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Level up, human. The comedy science podcast. Souping up the Homo sapien. Hello and welcome to Level Up Human, the comedy science podcast panel show. Souping up the Homo sapien. This is a very new venture for us. We are in the middle of lockdown. The coronavirus is being spreading around the world, and so many people are now confined to their bedrooms, or at least to their front rooms, or at least away from all the other panelists that they'd normally be performing with. So. Joining us from her living room is our producer and resident comedian Rachel Wheely. Hello, how nice to be here. We, <laughs> well, how nice? Yeah, when we say how nice to be here, we now mean how nice to be not fully dressed yet. How nice to be doing this in my pants. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. This this is to say is a new venture for us. You may have heard one of the Level Up Human extras that we did, where we did it over Zoom, and we recorded ourselves. That's kind of a normal thing where Rachel and I will kind of shoot the breeze together and see what's happening in science at this very minute. We do it as a kind of responsive thing, discussing what's going on right now. But this is the first time that we've tried to do a proper episode where we're going to have professors. Doctors, academics, experts in their field, telling us exactly how they would like to to change the human body. We would have been recording this at Edinburgh Science Festival. The whole thing has been cancelled, unfortunately. But you may have noticed that they are trying to move as much of it as they can online. That includes us. So let's shoot over to our expert guests. First of all, we have Dr. Chloe James, who's a senior lecturer in medical microbiology. Uh, from Liverpool, but now working at the University of Salford. Are you there, Chloe? Hi, yeah, yeah, I'm here. Chloe, um, can we ask actually? Because I'm, I am intrigued. How does academia function under these kind of strange circumstances? How are you spending your days? So I guess our jobs are a bit Jekyll and Hyde, and that we're half teachers and half researchers. So the teaching side is actually working quite well. We've got we're really well equipped with all kinds of technology that means we can still deliver online group sessions and release video lectures, and we're in quite close contact with all of our tutees through email. Uh, so we're feeling quite well connected. I'm in lots of WhatsApp group with my project students and with my PhD students. So all of the meetings and that side of things is all is all great. In theory, the research side of things is obviously severely hindered because we can't get into the lab. So all of our experiments are shut down. But in theory, we've got a great amount of time now for writing papers and for catching up on reading. 
in reality, with kids at home as well, it's a bit tricky to do that. So, so the research is suffering quite a lot. But in the circumstances, I think we're all doing pretty well. I'm also really proud that lots of us have donated our equipment and machines to the new diagnostics labs. So we've sent our QPCR machines and our protective masks and our gloves and our lab coats to be some use in the fight against coronavirus. So actually that feels really quite nice that we're contributing to that. Chloe, what's a QPCR machine? So PCR is a technique that is used to amplify small bits of of DNA and you can use a slightly different technique so that you can amplify bits of RNA. So coronavirus is an RNA virus and we can detect if it's in people's blood or not by performing PCR that just amplifies up any genetic material if it's present. So it's a really great uh, sort of sensitive way of determining if there is virus uh, circulating in people's systems. So it's kind of like if you're looking for a needle in the haystack, this is a thing which multiplies the needle so you can find it. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. I have to say, actually, I think this is fantastic. Although I have to ask you two quick questions. First of all, if you described academia as Jekyll and Hyde and teaching and uh, doing research, which one's Jekyll and which one's Hyde? Um. <laughs> I do also feel about your, your having to do your working from home whenever you've got kids around. I have kicked my family out for their designated hours exercise. And this recording will have to be finished before it goes full Korean diplomat and my children come running into this room. Well, mine are teenagers, so one of them is still absolutely blissfully in her slumber and she won't be up for another three hours. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, welcome, Chloe, and thank you. But we're also joined by Professor Sheena Christchank at the University of Manchester. You work a great deal on the science of the immune system, so I imagine your expertise are being asked for an awful lot at the moment as well. Yeah, we're doing quite a lot in Manchester. We're involved in active research on the virus, trying to understand the immune response to the virus. Some of my PhD students are are pausing studies to go and help with analysis of samples, and they're going to be going off and doing that. So it's been really busy, and I'm part of the British Society for Immunology Advisory Group on the virus. So it's been it's been kind of COVID, 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 plus I've probably had COVID. And my apologies now if I start coughing a lot. I've still got the tail end of the cough. Yeah, we were going to ask about that, actually, because we were going to be recording this a little while ago. Are you feeling much better? I am. I think I'm finally on the mend. It's been um, it's been protracted. I think I I think I I tried to do too much too quickly and the virus was just not having it at all. So I've been, I've not been, it's not been great actually. It's been a little bit scary, but I feel a lot, lot, lot better. No, it's, it's, yeah, it's evil. Is it worth um, asking for any sort of personal advice if like, you know, people who are lucky enough to be suffering, but not to such an extent where they are in imminent danger? Is there any advice for those people? I think take it easy is the advice that I, I kind of realise now is is take it seriously, take it easy and absolutely do the, the 14 days isolation. And that, that's been the trickiest bit, actually, was trying to do the isolation and manage things like supplies when we were all trying to self-isolate. So that was that was the probably the most problematic thing. And I don't think we're terribly well set up for that. I think there's a lot of volunteers happening for older people, which is as it should be. But it's very difficult to kind of, you know, put a sign out and say, actually, I'm not well. Please, can somebody get me some milk? So, yeah, it's 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 been challenging. But, yeah, take it easy. Definitely, definitely take it easy. 
Well, please, Lushina, if I could have emailed you a pint, I would have. Ah, that would have been good. Milk's definitely been the, the, the biggest shortage, especially with two teenage boys who, who just seem to think that it's endless. <laughs> just drink gallons of the stuff. And to that end, actually, we now have... Uh, can we go over to you, Rachel? Because I want to ask about something that you were doing just as this whole lockdown began, which was you acquired some chickens. Yes, I am one of those families who has panic-bought chickens in the absence of eggs. <laughs> well, it was, it was just happy accident, wasn't it? Your chickens were just due to arrive as this whole thing kicked off. That's, that's true. I didn't, I didn't actually panic buy chickens, but it looks a lot like I did. And we now have two eggs a day from Amber and Bella. Okay, it might well be that COVID is really dominating the news cycle in general. But as you know, in our podcast, we want to look at what perhaps the next stage of human evolution might be. So we've asked each of our guests to bring along a quick news story. We're not going to spend much time on it, but we'd like to see what else is in the news in the science news recently that might have been buried and missed and might tell us how we improve the human species. So can we start with you, please, Sheena? What's your news story? Um, So I'm just going to bring the tone right down straight away. Um, I was quite taken by a piece about a magic toilet. Um, So this is a toilet that's been bioengineered so it can monitor you when you go to the loo. It will take samples from your urine. It will um, take photographs or video of your poo. It's got pressure sensors so it can sense how long you sit on the toilet And most disturbingly, it has an anal crease (laughs) detection function, which enables it to match the features to that unique person, (laughs) which is quite disgusting. Wow. That's what we need is videos of poo. (laughs) (laughs) And I think, although it sounds sounds really ridiculous, and I do think anal creases and poo dropping time you know, might might be taking things a little bit far. It does touch on a really important point that actually our waste products, our urine and our poo, are really, really interesting ways to be able to monitor our health. So in our urine, we can monitor things like whether or not we've got diabetes. We can look at our blood sugar levels, for example. Um, in our poo, we can look at changes in the microbiome. Now, we don't necessarily know what some of those changes mean, but some of those in the future might help us understand if people are going to respond well to drug treatments. There's also markers that we um, secrete in our poo, which we can monitor and see whether people with diseases like inflammatory bowel disease are relapsing. Um, So it could be a really, really useful way, even if it's a little bit disgusting. (laughs) Can I ask an entirely practical question from this? Because I live in a household of four people. If I was going to use this toilet, would I have to log in every time I was going to make a a log, as it were? Uh, well, that was the purpose of the anal crease. So they had fingerprint technology and anal crease photograph technology. Apparently, we all have a unique anal crease. <laughs> Who knew? And and that way, they were going to be able to mu- to match the sample to the individual. But apparently, they, I think they they surveyed about four hundred people, and they were developing this. And that was the part they found most disturbing. So I suspect anal crease technology will not. Um, Hold fast. That is utterly remarkable. That is a lineup, a police lineup that you do not want to see, is it? When you're looking for these identifying features. <laughs> never, never, never. And it, and it, and the whole gives a whole new light to the office party and people taking photographs of their bum. It makes me feel really nervous about going to the toilet in anybody else's house when I'm visiting. So you need to tell people if they're about to enter a toilet with one of these. 
<laughs> yes, because apparently it's just an add-on device. This is the first time they've been able to make it cheap, so it can lock, it can slot onto any normal toilet. <laughs> yeah, it's going to also, it's kind of like a strange roulette of scientist or kink. It's hard to tell, isn't it? <laughs> mm. No, let's not go there, Simon, but it's far too early in the morning. <laughs> Thank you very much, Sheena. Chloe, what have you brought along with you? What's your news story? So mine it appeared in The Guardian last year, but it's close to my heart at the moment because we've been doing lots of Joe Wicks exercises and improving our performance at the moment. Uh, so this is an article where people found gut bacteria that could potentially enhance athletic performance. So this was a group of scientists in Harvard that tested the microbiome of athletes and non-athletes after running a marathon. And there was a, a particular type of bacteria called Vianella that was significantly increased in abundance after the athletes had gone for a run, uh, had done the Boston, Boston Marathon. And then they took the Vianella and they transferred that into mice and then compared mice that had the Vianella versus those that didn't. And it improved the mouse ability to run by 13% when they were, when they were colonized by the Vianella. So this is, uh, I guess, a little glimpse into a possibility for performance enhancing microbes. Uh, which throws uh, all kinds of sort of ethical questions around: Would we have to test athletes' uh, poo to see if they'd taken any uh, any performance enhancing microbes? Uh, obviously, there's a big sort of uh, caveat in that you know it, it's very hard to sort of decide whether or not this is cause or effect. But I think it's something that's worth investigating a little bit further. Should be combined with the magic toilet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The anti-doping magic toilet. <laughs> They'll use the anal creases there for sure. <laughs> yeah, this is a very scatological episode, isn't it? It's a. I can only blame you guys. <laughs> Microbiologists can't talk for more than five minutes without mentioning poo. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea of poo doping from this. Like that's really what's going to be. Somebody's going to come round to use your smart toilet. And you're going to scan and see if that's the one you have to keep and make some kind of, it's a kind of the, the ultimate athletical fecal shake. <laughs> well, it, I, I watched with Nail and I again the other night and, that you know, they have the scene where they've got unadulterated child's piss, which they're using to try and, and fool whether they've been drink driving. But again, it opens up new doors for sources of illegal poop. I don't know if you could, that wouldn't have worked whenever I was a kid because like half the children would be drinking as well. <laughs> And Rachel, can you please tell us what is your news story? My news story is some research has been done into what causes people's hair to go grey or white due to stress. There was a, a group of scientists who have honed in. They started with looking at the entire body and they've, they've honed in on uh, the fact that stress basically attacks the nerve endings which uh, go into follicles in your skin and causes the... The melanocytes, which create pigment. I'm looking at the scientists here, looking for forgiveness for my pronunciation. But um, the, the, basically, it will deplete the melanocytes in the cells. And uh, then the, the, those hairs can't produce pigment anymore after stress. So they thought it was um, like an immune response attacking the hair follicles. But it turns out to be the nervous system. I'm going to ask the proper scientist here. Am I right in thinking it's melanocytes? Because the way Rachel's saying it, it makes it sound like Melania Trump has got something to do with it. <laughs> it is melanocytes. 
Melanocytes, yeah. yeah. So now I can say to my seven-year-old, you are severely distressing my melanocytes. Please stop singing Baby Shark. Anyway, look, that is what is happening right now. But we should get into what we'd like to see. So each of our guests has come along with a pitch, an idea they would like in order to try and change the human species. So can we please start this time with, uh, can we kick off with you, Chloe? Would you tell us what your idea is to change the human species? Try and impress Rachel. Okay, so I would like us to have command over our internal armies. We all know about our immune systems, but people possibly don't know so much about the viruses that we have in our bodies. I'm talking about bacteriophages. Bacteriophages are viruses that infect and replicate inside bacteria. Uh, And some of them are really, really good at killing bacteria. And we know that these exist already. But what I would like is that we would have control over a very ordered army of bacteriophages that we can call upon any time we're infected with bacteria that are causing disease, that they could then come and efficiently clear up the disease and mop everything up uh, to help the immune system. How would we call them to arms? So, I mean, I guess it would have to work in conjunction with the immune system a little bit. There would be some kind of trigger to say that there there were bacteria being naughty and they found themselves in the wrong place and started causing some kind of disease. The phages would be circulating in our bodies all of the time. Uh, Bacteriophages are tiny. They're a little bit bigger than antibodies. They're, They're between 20 and 200 nanometers in diameter. And so the best place for them to be would be in the, in the mucosal linings. So in the sort of, sort of sticky secretions around our lungs and guts uh, and gastrointestinal tracts, uh, they would just kind of be there sitting and waiting uh, for the bacteria to come along. Uh, different phages are specific for different types of bacteria. And so we would have kind of different, different sectors that could deal with different types of infection. Okay, this is a great idea. And you've actually touched upon the fact that there is using phages as something which could target this. I'm aware this is not a new technology. Could you tell us where this might have been used in the past? Yes, we've known about bacteriophages for over 100 years now. And when they were first discovered by Felix Durrell and Frederick Twart, there were kind of two people that discovered them at the same time. They immediately saw the therapeutic benefits of bacteriophages and almost immediately started using them for treatment of things like dysentery and cholera and and had some successes. Uh, So people are quite perplexed when when they hear about that because they well, hang on a minute, how come we haven't been using these ever since, you know, for the past hundred years? And it's because when they were about to be commercialised, that was around about the same time as Alexander Fleming discovered antibiotics. And antibiotics were much easier to uh, purify. You knew exactly what was in the antibiotic. And so they really took off and developed. And antibiotics have, you know, we've relied on them for treating bacterial diseases uh, for, you know, sort of 70 plus years now. And everyone kind of forgot about phage. They were a bit more scary. They're alive. You've got less control over them. So most people sort of forgot they existed. Uh, But we're now in this problem of where antibiotic resistant bacterial infections are becoming a massive problem again. Uh, So there's a lot more attention being paid to bacteriophages uh, to be developed as therapy. How might you be treated with phages? What sort of, would it be a pill or a, or a, a lotion 
or a potion. Uh, oh, I like potion. Um, <laughs> well, phages have been used in sort of the former Soviet Union ever since. So they have actually always been used. There's a big centre in Tbilisi uh, called the Eliava Institute. Um, and they've been training bacteriophages ever since their first discovery. And so they've got these wonderful banks of phage cocktails that are in little vials of, of liquid that people can take uh, for all kinds of different diseases. The problem is that there were still severely lacking any controlled double-blind studies that absolutely prove that it's the phages that are treating the infections and not causing any more severe effects. So this is, I guess the thing with phage therapy is that because bacteria always evolve and because phages always evolve and phages are very, very specific, you constantly need to retrain and re-evolve the treatment. It's not something that you can just lift off the shelf and it will work for everybody. So it takes quite a lot of work. So this is why I think it would be much better if we all just kind of had our own personal phage armies that we sort of trained ourselves. I don't know if anyone remembers who Barbara Woodhouse is, but I kind of imagine this little sort of, Barbara Woodhouse used to train dogs and she used to say, walkies. <laughs> and, she used to, and, um, and, I, and I think, you know, if we could, tra- you know, sort of be our own little personal trainers for our own bacteria phages that we could command and, and bring into action whenever we needed them, then, then that would be, yeah, that'd be really good. Yeah, I, I do love the idea of there just being some kind of organ in your body with a tiny whistle. Yeah. That's kind of really cool. <laughs> Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. But as, as you pointed out, these are things that are constantly evolving. And I know that the relationship between, say, bacteria and viruses is quite complicated. So, for instance, I know you mentioned there cholera. Now, cholera is caused by Vibrio cholerae. Yeah. That's a bacteria. Um, but it's not the bacteria which causes the disease because the toxin that's produced and gives you the, the diarrhea is actually caused whenever the bacteria is infected by a virus. So is there any chance that these things could kind of be game keepers that could turn poachers? Has there ever been any examples where like bacteria and phages and things which might be helping us could then just flip and become harmful? Exactly. And this is why I love being a microbiologist, because I think it's so intricate and so clever. So there's quite a few examples where bacteriophages, so the cholera bacteriophage, not only does it encode a toxin that damages people's cells and their guts, that then causes diarrhea because the water can't 
um, Azorb across the gut so well anymore. Uh, they even encode the delivery machinery for delivering that toxin into the cells. There's other examples like E. coli have a shigatoxin phage that produces another toxin. Um, I've actually just received a good chunk of funding to investigate this further. Uh, so I'm looking at how bacteriophages are the puppet masters of a bacterium called Pseudomonas aeruginosa that lives in the lungs. And we don't, we, we, we're only scratching the surface with our understanding of how all, all of this happens. So we know that some phages produce toxins that can cause damage to cells. We've got a few ideas as to why, but I actually think that the phages probably encode all kinds of other regulators that manipulate all kinds of behaviours of the bacteria. And, and so I think we could even employ them to sort of act like little wizards of Oz for each <laughs> bacterium, sort of pulling the strings and determining whether it can cause disease or not. Brilliant. I love this. Yep, that is on the shortlist, which will be of two. <laughs> and I think, I think it's extremely <laughs> likely they'll both get on today. It will be a little bit longer because the good news is, sure enough, we do have some suggestions in from Twitter. I ah. asked people online if they would have some ideas for us, and I'll tell you what those are, Rachel, when we get the chance. Oh, great. But yes. Okay, Rachel, as the judge, you're letting this go on the shortlist. Congratulations, Chloe. Sheena, can you beat this? What is your pitch for changing the human species? Well, as, as an immunologist, I think I have to make a pitch for immunology this this time. And I think immunology is obviously getting quite a lot of publicity at the moment because of COVID. And one of the reasons that people with COVID get sick is because the immune response goes wrong. The immune response goes awry and causes a storm of, of activation of sort of proteins that cause damage in the lungs. And actually, although our immune response is tremendously powerful and can kill all sorts of different bacteria, viruses, parasites, etc., it does go wrong sometimes. And that's an increasing problem for people, um, particularly in developed countries. We've got allergies are a way that your immune system goes wrong. Autoimmunity is a way that your immune system goes wrong. And even um, conditions like wound healing are often, your immune system is not quite reacting as it wants to. It's not able to, to heal the wound in a timely fashion in quite a lot of patients. So what I want to do is I want to be able to reprogram the immune system to stop it going wrong. So I want to be able to kind of intervene with an immune response and say, okay, that's enough, or just ignore that, please. And please, can you repair this? I mean, for example, if we take COVID, we know that what happens in the lungs now is that a lot of the immune cells that are there are very inflammatory and they're making lots of these cytokines that are causing the storm. But what we want are, are the, the cells to be able to repair and kind of make the, the lungs kind of a good, strong environment again. And that can be done with a switch. It's just a few different um, products that can make the macrophages, which are the cells that do that, work better again. So could we start to reprogram almost like a little console on the side of our arms or something going, yeah, right, okay, I've had enough of that. You've got rid of the virus. Now repair, please. And just quickly kind of program um, in new, new kind of behaviours to our immune cells so we stop getting sick. So, so our, our immune cells are not sort of uh, changing what they're doing quickly enough. They, they, they're either doing, they're either doing what they shouldn't do. So they're, they're acting in ways that they shouldn't. They've got muddled or they're not 
they're not kind of changing their behaviour, they're not coping with, with what's happening around them, so they're not switching and, and actually switching things off to repair mode again. So they kind of do one of two things, but these are, are processes that we understand now. So we understand how immune cells repair, we understand how immune cells get switched off. It's just that for some reason in all these diseases, it doesn't happen. So what we want to do is make them switch off. It's an immunoreferee, basically, that you're talking about. Yes, an immunoreferee is perfect. That's exactly what we want. <laughs> there was something you'd mentioned there, which, which I think takes us into an interesting angle, particularly in this kind of time. You were saying how this sort of cytokine storm, it's basically where the body overreacts and the overreaction can be more deadly than the disease. When we look at the pandemics of the past, like the one of the... Uh, the Spanish flu, as it's incorrectly called, back in those days. One of the things that made that noteworthy was that it killed so many healthy people. It killed so many young people because they had strong immune systems that overreacted. Whereas in this case, it seemed to be that the people who are most affected are the people who are perhaps older and perhaps in more underlying conditions and more compromised immune systems. That's a very complicated picture we're talking about there. I was wondering if you could fill us in, maybe... What's the difference? Like, why are people with theoretically weaker immune systems having an immune system that's overreacting? Does that even make sense? No, it, it actually it actually does, because some of the things that, that happen, so what we're seeing is it's often people, unfortunately, who've got pre-existing conditions. And what that does is it changes the way that the immune system is, it works. So, for example, conditions like diabetes and obesity can make your macrophages, those critical cells in repairing your, your lungs in COVID, they can make your macrophages more pro-inflammatory. So they're more likely to respond in that kind of producing lots and lots of cytokines and doing that more pro-inflammatory side rather than switching to repair mode where they start to calm all the inflammation down and help rebuild the structures that need to be repaired for your lungs and, and other tissues to, to work properly. So in a way, it actually does make sense, unfortunately. And to dig a wee bit deeper into that then, actually, just because this is, this is fascinating, intriguing stuff, if we are talking about kind of immunoreferee, we kind of already attempt things a bit like that with drugs. So what I know what you're talking about is the kind of ideal version of this, that we get our bodies to do this itself. Can you tell us what we're doing artificially right now? Like how do we control inflammation and repair? What kind of thing can we shove into our arm to make everything a bit better? So there's lots of different, this is called immunotherapies, and there's lots of different kind of approaches to immunotherapy, depending on whether you want to switch the immune response off or switch it on. So if you're talking about something like an autoimmune disease, typically you're wanting to switch the immune response off. So for example, one of the, the therapies that they use blocks the cytokine storm that you get in rheumatoid arthritis. And they're actually investigating some of those drugs for COVID at the moment. In contrast, if you've got something like cancer, where the immune response isn't getting switched on very well, you want to give the immune response a little bit of a help. So in that kind of circumstance, what you're trying to do is you're trying to give a little, the immune response a little bit of a boost. But it would just be so much more efficient if we didn't have to kind of wait until we were really quite sick for all of these things to happen. If we could actually just pre-program and go, 
oh, this is what's this is what's happening to us. Let, let's kind of deal with it now. It would be much, much more efficient and we wouldn't get as ill or get as much damage. Immuno referee is definitely on the short list. I love it. <laughs> I like the word immuno referee. I'm keeping that. <laughs> I won't, I won't patent it. In these days of uh, cooperation, <laughs> I think we can have that for everyone. So there's two fantastic ideas from our experts. Thank you both ever so much. They are both on the shortlist because the shortlist is shorter than normal. But we have been on Twitter and we've asked some people to give us their ideas. Sheena and Chloe, please jump in with any of your ideas contributing to this. You can either tear them to shreds or maybe help build upon their ideas. So first of all, we have from Science Not Scary on Twitter that the human body seems to be built with obsolescence in mind. It wears out far too fast and does not contain user serviceable parts. Repairs have to be done by licensed technicians and replacement parts never come from the same manufacturer. So I was asking them, does by the same manufacturer, he's basically talking about our parents. Uh, do you think there's any way we can get like repair parts from our parents perhaps? I'm I am not up for that. <laughs> I'm really not up for that. We do have I mean again the immune system's actually quite good at, at the repair aspects as as well as I've alluded to but one thing that's really interesting about the the immune cells that have memory and and activate and and kill viruses and bacteria and things is they've got special structures on them. So normally as a cell proliferates and splits and reproduces, it gets um, kind of shorter telomeres, which are kind of the, the sort of things that help determine how long a cell survives for or how long a lineage of cells survives for. But what happens in some of these immune cells is they've got an enzyme that sticks onto the telomeres and makes them longer, which means that they have a bigger capacity to continue to divide, which is really, really important when we have to respond to an infection. So our immune system's already kind of able to do it. So maybe we just need to steal from the immune system again. You can tell I'm an immunologist. <laughs> it's going to be immunology. Nah, man, we love you for it. But this person is talking about the fact that bodies are like cars in that they're not like the cars used to be where you could mend your own, you could do your own repairs. You have to take it into a specialist shop. Uh, and that that is a problem with the human body. I'm not sure I want one that I can just swap organs in and out of. I mean, where would I keep them? Well, it's, it's half the reason I have children. I just look upon them as my spare kidneys. Oh, yeah, that's true. Well, this is the problem with asking your parents to provide you with extra uh, things that have gone wrong with your body. I mean, are they going to produce those from scratch, i.e. they're going to be babies size ones? Or are they going to give you their own? In which case, don't they need them themselves? There are so many problems with this with this suggestion. You do get visions of that. Do you remember that mouse that they, they kind of grafted the, the skin, an ear on or something was running yeah. around with yes. its facts. So you just get these visions of our parents wandering around with kind of bits growing out of them that we can lop off when required. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite gross. Now, all of us on this panel are parents and I can't I can't imagine any of us are really up for walking around with a, a liver hanging off us that we're just developing for one of the kids because they've been to the pub too much. Well, they've already <laughs> stolen enough of our calcium deposits. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If we're thinking of uh, of using the back just there, that was a, f a fantastic sort of segue that you accidentally done there, Sheena, is because we've got another suggestion on Twitter from RipRap1 who wants the ability to scratch one's back. He says it's a terrible design fault. I suppose he's asking for a self-scratching back. Or longer arms. 
Oh, Rachel, you've hit upon the answer. <laughs> or longer fingernails. <laughs> yeah, longer, longer fingernails yeah. and longer arms. Mm-hmm. Okay, how do we do this? My my son, uh, his fingernails grow at a ridiculous rate. Almost every day I have to chop his fingernails. So maybe we need to study him. I think if I left him for a couple of months, I reckon he'd have a long enough back scratcher for for everybody. <laughs> I, I think the real trouble we have here is how we actually manage all that with social distancing. I mean, we're going to need like garden ricks. But isn't it quite an important kind of behavioural adaptation, kind of scratching? When you look at kind of groups of, of apes and things, it's it's part of the kind of social organisation that they groom each other and scratch each other and pick mites off each other. So maybe maybe it would be a bad thing if we could just scratch ourselves because it would mean it would mean that we wouldn't have to talk to other people and say, "Oh, just scratch my back, <laughs> would you?" <laughs> oh, so so literally, it is from scratching that we get you scratch my back. I'll scratch yours. That you're saying cooperation comes about via itch. If we could get all the world leaders into one big room, fire itching powder all over them, we'd end all war. (laughs) Absolutely. Although I think Donald Trump would be very bad at it because he's got very tiny hands. (laughs) (laughs) It's just such a horrendous mental image you've conjured there, Simon. I'm going to put self-scratching back on the shortlist. I'm not putting the other one on. Because I don't want I don't want to be growing organs for my children. I've done enough for them. <laughs> okay, then one final suggestion from the audience. Uh, Son of Gav on Twitter, he wants stronger bits like joints and general skeleton, which are less prone to damage by sleeping in a different position than usual. Yeah, that's that's good. Well, or or generally just backs that are slightly less prone to be damaged by the smallest thing. I've been cycling since the lockdown started and my bike is not the right size for me and my back is letting me know that every day. Um, Again, as the proper biologist in the room, why are backs so rubbish? Um, I think it's not the backs are so rubbish. I think it's that we're so rubbish and we don't have good good habits, I guess, of of kind of stretching and maintaining flexibility and, and core strength rather than anything else. I mean, women have other inherent problems particularly uh, as we get older because partly because of those children having stolen quite a lot of our, our calcium partly because the the turnover of new versus old bone doesn't seem to work as well as we get older so our, our bones do get more brittle again the immune response is a role there it can accelerate that happening if you have a cytokine storm it can accelerate that and um, so there is uh, some interesting links between uh, immune responses and that but yeah i think it's it's basically um partly an age thing and partly um good habits i have a terrible bad back as well so i i completely sympathize rachel stretch 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 it's what my physio says yeah. <laughs> stretch 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 yeah. right okay i'll do that if we're if we're going to combine those then for like uh sleeping in a different position than usual and stretching you're basically telling son of gav he has to sleep on a rack that's kind of the answer, is it? Yeah. Well, I've got a terrible, but I've got prolapse discs that I've suffered with for the last eight years. And um, mm. I wrote myself off completely, to be honest. I had steroid injections that worked for about a year. Um, but I am quite evangelical about core strength now because swimming made a massive difference. And I've been doing... I'm, I'm, 
I'm not, I'm not going to name names, but I've been following a certain YouTuber over the past three weeks um, and doing lots of exercises that have been helping with my core strength. And it has genuinely, genuinely really helped my back. And I feel like a much younger person at the moment uh, because I've been doing those uh, stretches and, uh, and crouches and things like that even to the point where I went for a jog the other day. So I, I think, I know, <laughs> so I, I think that, that looking after ourselves and doing stretches is, uh, is the way forward. Who knew? <laughs> so we don't need that one because it is just a case of stretch, stretch, stretch. Stretch and core landed. Okay, Rachel, you've got quite a few to choose from now if you look at that. So what is the one that grabbed you? What do you think is the best idea we've heard today that we should input into the next stage of humanity? when we're redesigning human 2.0? Well, I'm, I'm very fascinated by Chloe's bacterial phages, especially because they're, they've been around for ages and we haven't done much with them except for a secret lab somewhere where you can buy a vial of phages to swallow whenever you feel like it, apparently. <laughs> um, where is that lab again? Uh, to Tbilisi, it's it's not secret. So people, right, all over the all over Russia have been using uh, phage therapy for a very long time. I mean, everything in Russia is secret, isn't it? <laughs> no comments. <laughs> okay, so you can you can go to Tbilisi and you can buy a vial of phages and you can drink them. And th- I mean that 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 is all fascinating, and I I'm intrigued as to why we haven't developed more of our medicine around these things. The self scratching back is. Interesting, but I don't suffer from an itchy back, so I'm just personally not very interested in that one. Uh, And also, I'm slightly horrified by the image of Donald Trump's tiny hands. And so, I think it is Sheena's immuno referee, which has won. Hey, congratulations, Sheena. (laughs) One for immunology for a change. Well, as I said, we would love to put this into every single human and change the the species as a whole, but... You know, we're all in lockdown. We can't get into the lab. So uh, it's up to you. How are you going to do this? Um, well, actually, um, when I get back to the lab, unfortunately, that, that's exactly what I will start doing. We are looking at, at ways to repair wounds better. So that's that's quite a big chunk of our research. So we will get it, be getting back in the lab and we'll try and do that as quickly as we can. We promise. But in the meantime, it's all people doing COVID testing and COVID research. Yeah, I can see why your priorities have shifted. So everybody, look, thank you ever so much for joining us, particularly bearing in mind that we are doing this in a different format. Big thank you to the Edinburgh Science Festival, because even though we're not there, they wanted to have us and this would be good fun. It remains only for me to do one final thing. I'd love to say a big thank you to Sheena, to Chloe, to Rachel, and I've been Simon Watts. This has been Level Up Human. Thank you for listening. Get in touch with us on Twitter. Thank you and good night. That was Level Up Human. Hosted by Simon Watt, produced by Rachel Wheely, and supported by the Physiological Society. For more information, go to levelupyouman.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.